Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David Kamnitzer, the cutting edge doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. Today we have a great, great conversation for you with my friend, Catherine Favre. She's an expert on the Enneagram and its use as a tool for transformation. Today we're going to be introducing to you the power of the Enneagram with a special focus on the power of a concept that Catherine has brought back to the modern world called tri-type. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation, part one of a two-part interview with Catherine Favre. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David Kamnitzer. Most people call me Dr. David, and I'm also the cutting-edge doc And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And in that spirit, I'm very excited about today's show because we're going to be talking about one of the cutting-edge approaches to self-knowledge. And then within that, we're going to be talking about the cutting edge of that cutting edge. So we're right in tune with the spirit of freeing the body, freeing the soul. And today we're going to be talking about the Enneagram, which is a very powerful tool for self-knowledge and for understanding and appreciating others and life. And we're going to be talking about a fairly recent breakthrough in the application of the Enneagram called Tri-Type. And we have the pleasure today of speaking with the founder or the discoverer for modern times of tri-type, as well as someone who is a Enneagram, long-term Enneagram practitioner and teacher. We're going to be speaking with Catherine Chernik-Favre, and she's on the line with us now. So let me bring Catherine into the conversation to say hi, and then I'm going to read you her very impressive bio. So Catherine, welcome to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Hi, David. I'm happy to be here today. I've been looking forward to this. Great. It's uh, great to have you. Um, Catherine is really gifted at what she does and is a rare combination of an excellent practitioner as well as an excellent research person as well. So here is her bio. Catherine Chernik-Favre, founder of Catherine Favre Consulting, Enneagram Explorations and Favre Research is an internationally recognized researcher, trainer, and coach. She is the creator of TriType and her cutting-edge research on the Enneagram types, instinctual types, and tri-types have made her a leader in the Enneagram world. Catherine is the author of the Instinctual Subtypes and Enea Style, the Nine Languages, of Enneagram Type and co-author of the Enneacards Testing Instrument, the 27 Tri-Types Revealed, and 14 other products. She co-created the ePro Enneagram Professional Training Certi- Certification Intensives and is the co-host of the award-winning TV series on the Enneagram Types, Your Personality Revealed. She's a former member of the Board of Directors of the International Enneagram Association and is a certified Enneagram teacher with Palmer Daniels, Riso Hudson, and Hurley Donson. Her innovative approach uses the advanced application of the Enneagram personality typing system, masterfully integrated with helpful techniques of many of the pioneers in the field of personal empowerment. Her in-depth inquiry process, which is trademarked, enables individuals to more fully understand their core motivations and develop the critical self-awareness needed to create lasting change. 
Catherine works with companies, groups, families, couples, and individuals and teaches the Enneagram in many diverse fields, including business, psychology, spirituality, and healing. And you can access Catherine and her work at www.catherinefavor.com. That's www.k-a-t-h-e-r-i-n-e-f as in Frank, A-U-V as in Victor, R-E.com. I made it, Catherine. I made it through your bio. <laughs> that's, a, that's a little long. <laughs> Hang on. I'm going to go for the water. Just a minute. Okay. So let's dive right in and let's assume, for the sake of this interview, let's assume that the listener doesn't know what the Enneagram is. So let's start right at the beginning. So um, just the first obvious question is, what is the Enneagram? Ah, well, the Enneagram is a very interesting symbol that represents a group of uh, traits and a dynamic interaction that produces patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving. But more importantly, it's a personality typology. It's a nine-point personality system that combines sophisticated and modern psychological tools that we know today with ancient wisdom. That's really an important aspect of why the Enneagram is so influential. It's a powerful tool for self-discovery because it recognizes universal character traits that we all share, and yet it honors personality diversity, the way that we're different and predictable ways that we're different. But for those really new to the Enneagram, the word Enneagram and the symbol itself is Greek. And we can find the actual term Ennea, which is Greek for nine, and gram is for grammos, which means drawing or graph. So Enneagram just means a nine-pointed graph. But it's a circle with nine equally distant points connected by nine intersecting lines. So when you see it, it'll make more sense. But it, it really demonstrates the dynamic interaction that all these points have with one another, just as we in human nature connect with others and are not very connected with others in very predictable ways. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, maybe you could spell the word Enneagram for people oh, who want to yeah. look, look it up. Yeah, Ennea is E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. And the symbol itself dates back to Pythagoras. That's at least what historians can map now. The Internet has made so much available these days that we can uh, pursue. And what is really key is that it maps nine motivations, nine distinct motivations, I should say, that influence not only what we do, but more importantly, why we do what we do. And the Enneagram points themselves, those nine points, represent the ways in which each of the personality types at each point perceive and defend their realities. I remember thinking that people you know, weren't telling the truth. I, I'm point eight, and that's the type that's most focused on their sense of truth. And we all want truth, but the eight really is overly focused on truth. And I had to learn that it's my idea of truth and not the truth. And what's true for me may not be true for others. But it's, it's intriguing because when I learned about the Enneagram, I could recognize that and realize that my pattern, my reality, was different from someone else's, and that I have a different pattern of thinking about, feeling about, and acting than others do. But it's always consistent for each of us. So I like to say that the wisdom of the Enneagram is that it recognizes nine very different, yet inherently valid views of reality. 
And the power of the Enneagram is that it's, it is a powerful and comprehensive tool to harness and transform self-defeating behavior into what we all want, life-enhancing personal empowerment. And lastly, that the gift of the Enneagram is that through this self-discovery, we can truly create and sustain more meaningful and lasting relationships. But most importantly, the Enneagram promotes compassion and understanding. It's a universal language that transcends age, gender, religion, nationality, culture. It's universal to all of us. And a four in um, China has the same needs and concerns as a four in San Francisco or a four in Romania or Belgium. A four is a four wherever we go. And it's pretty wonderfully universal. So it's tapping into something that's very uh, fundamental in the makeup of human being. Yeah, and that we all share common experiences. Well, I think this begs a couple of questions. One is, uh, are we just one type? And two, um, can you speak to the process of just self-discovery of um, getting to a point where you're clear on your type, on what your type is? Well, it is a journey. And what I would want to say initially is that some types, by the very nature of their defense structure, because these types really each have their own way of seeing things, their own lens of perception, view of reality. And they all have a corresponding defense strategy that keeps pain from going to the heart. And it's human nature to want to thrive and to avoid pain. And to survive, we really do need to have defense strategies in place. So we each have one. And once we recognize these structures, then we can begin to work with them in many different ways. So I would, to answer your question, well, what, what direction are you going with it? And I can really take it two different ways. Well, let's first answer the question is, are we just one type? Yes. Yes and no. We have one dominant type, but we really have three types that are working in concert with one another. And there's a type for our heart, there's a type for our head, and there's a type for our gut. And what I mean by that is there, there's a type that is... Um, governing the way we run our emotions and there's a type for the way we run our thoughts and our beliefs and there's a way that we run our, our reactivity and our more visceral aspect to our personality and when those three come together it's how we view the world but there still needs to be commander-in-chief and one of these three centers of intelligence they're called is in charge and that dominant type rules the other two other yes so the the three are organized and governed like the superego runs the personality this is kind of the superego of the three centers okay well then let's go to the second part of the question and then maybe we can use me as a guinea pig so um talk about the process that you experienced and that you observed in other people from the point where they first hear about the Enneagram to the point where they are have a high degree of certainty that they at least know their main type. Can you talk about that journey and what you uh, found helpful on that journey? Yes, I started noticing patterns with the way people landed on their type. And for some people, it was so immediate as it was for myself. I couldn't understand why other people struggled so much. But when I delved more deeply into the construct of these defense strategies and worldviews, it became very clear that some of the types, by their very nature, were meant to be more hesitant, reflective, and doubting. And they would naturally have more trouble determining their type and even their tri-type which we'll get into later, but they're, they were meant to be that way. And every group, family, community needs someone 
who's going to say, wait a minute, let's step back and think about that. Whereas I'm the eight, as I mentioned, and I'm going to be full, you know, full steam ahead. And I'm not going to reflect, but every group, family and community needs someone who's going to deal with the immediacy of things. So in that process, the more assertive types find themselves more quickly, with one exception. And the more um, kind of withdrawn types take a little longer. And even types that are kind of compliant will go back and forth. So I have found on the journey of discovery that if you look at which type is dominant in each center and use an elimination process, you at least begin the journey of self-discovery. And you begin to say, me, not me. Why is it me? Why is it not me? Is it true? Is it not true? And how can I know? And in that journey itself, it's very revealing of where the attention goes, what you're focused on, what comes up, what you don't want to know, what you do want to know. And that leads to type as well. So I find that for the types that have more the inductive kind of reasoning, that they might take longer in some ways, they might be faster. Whereas those with deductive reasoning will get there no matter what. So if you keep like, okay, not this, not this, this, not this, not this, this, and then challenge whatever you determine this is, meaning of the nine types, then it becomes um, easier and easier to clarify type. But for some people, it can take just the first time they open a book and someone else it could take a year or longer if they happen to be what we call the six or the nine which is two types that are meant to hesitate and reflect so it's hardwired into their their very type i know for me in my process that one of the things that helped me to really make some finer distinctions was looking more deeply at the motivation that that drives my thinking and my feeling and my acting, uh, as opposed to just looking at behavior that, um, right. that, that, that seemed to really take it to a whole other level. And then it was unmistakable for me. You know, if I took out the deep honesty cards at that point, it became very clear. Well, it's, it's so important you say that because I love all maps of human behavior, but the Enneagram is the most compelling and dynamic because of what you just said. It maps the motivation rather than the behavior because any of us can have good or bad behavior. The question is why? Only the Enneagram focuses on why we do what we do and examines those subtle distinctions you reference and the more hidden motivation underneath our behaviors and the behavior of others, of course. This is a fabulous tool for understanding and having compassion for others. So that's kind of a good segue to bring up something that I've noticed by studying and observing the Enneagram over the last 30 years or so. It seems that so many people are using the Enneagram primarily for psychological typing. And it certainly can be used for that. However, uh, I find that the Enneagram really goes to a whole other level of power when it's used in addition to that as a tool for spiritual transformation. And one of the things I like about you and your work is that um, you're open to holding space for people at that level. And I was wondering if you could speak to that distinction and how important that is, uh, both personally and professionally, because I know people that have been exposed to the Enneagram and then they get exposed to it again and they go, oh my gosh, I had no idea that it could be used uh, to go that deep. Oh, yes. In fact, the original focus of the Enneagram was, yes, for personal growth, but Look at it this way. We are spiritual beings. We are innately spiritual beings. We are meant to be inspired and to overcome the more um, baser, more ineffective, counterproductive, self-centered aspects 
of our personality. So we love to be inspired. Nothing touches us more than to see a comeback story or have a hero overcome an obstacle and go on to thrive and inspire others. So yes, the Enneagram is really for spiritual purposes. But the byproduct of that is that it's very good for polishing the personality and making us easier to get along with. But initially, it was adopted as a tool for spiritual awakening, really to discover what habitual patterns, fixated beliefs, and blind spots that, are, that were represented based on our type and our tri-type. And if we could recognize those, then we could become more conscious. So initially, in 1970, in the first training using what was then called any guns in Eureka, Chile, Oscar Chazo used it as a way to help people see what was in the way of becoming more conscious. What patterns did each attendee have that would keep them from being more self-aware and they were on the spiritual journey. And it wasn't until 1971 that it was taught in the United States by um, Dr. Claudio Naranjo to a group called Seekers After Truth. And there, for two years, they pursued this question using the Enneagram as a tool for recognizing what was in the way. And then later it went on to be used in many, many different ways because it's so universal that it can be applied. But the roots are really in identifying what keeps us from being more conscious and connected to our, our soul, our essence, that core part of ourselves that is always there. So I use it in business. I, I teach incorporations. I use it when I teach in the prison system. And I use it when I teach Enneagram and spirituality, which is looking at the higher essential self. So yes, I hope that answers your question. I didn't go too long. That's great. One of the nice things about this format is you can take as much time as you want to, to respond to any of these questions. And, uh, you know, I want to make a little side trip here and then weave back in because I want to talk about my personal relationship with the Enneagram. I have been a student of the Enneagram for a long time. And uh, even once I realized what my type was, I wasn't totally satisfied that it really completely resonated with the fullness of my being. And I just kind of let it go at that. And I don't think we'll go into detail in this show about the the way in which most people look at the Enneagram that left me kind of a little lukewarm. But um, uh, due to many blessings, I crossed paths with Catherine several years ago and discovered something that I had no idea about. But when I found out about it, it clicked in for me. Um, the Enneagram just took a quantum leap in its value to me. And th that is a segue to get into uh, talking about the fact that Catherine is the developer of a whole new way of looking at the Enneagram and using the Enneagram called tri-type that for me at least seems to expand the value and the power of the Enneagram for us to a whole new level. And so I want to take the bulk of the interview here, really take whatever time we need and really get into this topic of tri-type. And then I'll use myself as a guinea pig so that Catherine can show you how powerful it is, how much she can know about me and, 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 and help me by just knowing my tri-type, the three types that really resonate with me the most and by knowing the order and sequence of them. So let's start at the beginning here. Um, uh, kind of I'll combine two questions in one here. 
what is tritype and how did you quote unquote discover it? Ah, uh, that's a great question. There's um, there's uh, <laughs> there are a lot of ways I can answer that, but what I will say is that like you, I found the Enneagram and concept many years ago, almost 30. And it didn't, it was interesting to me. But then when I started really looking at people with their different types and how they were like me and how they were different from me, I began to see these amazing patterns. And then in the early 90s, I started taking classes, not just reading. There wasn't a lot available unless you knew where to find it back before the 90s. But by the 90s, the early 90s, you could take a number of different classes and begin to learn more about the Enneagram, which I did. And I became fascinated at hearing the internal world of people who knew their Enneagram type. And I became obsessed because for the first time, I really understood that people weren't trying to hurt me with many of their behaviors, just as I wasn't trying to hurt people with many of mine. We were just focused on different things. And I began attending everything I possibly could on the Enneagram. And then in 1995, I decided to certify in three different programs the only programs that were available at the time. But I wanted to go into the process of learning all points of view. And then I attended every workshop I could. I was fortunate enough to attend uh, one with Naranjo when he finally came back and was teaching. And I attended a um, reunion with Achazo, which is his uh, kind of the equivalent of his intensive. And many other teachers, many other great, great teachers. And I learned something extraordinary from each one of them. But as part of one of my certification classes, I decided to do a correlation between how people see themselves and their Enneagram type. And more specifically, how the Enneagram types see themselves. What words or phrases would they use to describe themselves? And it was just a correlation out of curiosity. But it yielded so much information that was unexpected. And I was <laughs> then truly hooked for life. I'm still here 20 years later. And I haven't stopped researching ever since. I've completed 21 research projects. And out of that first uh, 1995 study, I saw such particular patterns, like how people from different parts of the world could use the same phrase that wasn't in necessarily in an Enneagram book, and these people had never met one another. Why don't you give an example of that? Well, let me give you a great example. The type three is focused on their image. They're focused on the success story and having the ideal image and being viewed as a successful person. And in the in 1995, there was a cigarette ad called Merit that showed someone saying yes, yes, yes. And there are some different uh, ver versions of this ad had a few different things. But there would be like the victory pose, the arms up like a football player that says, you know, victory, just the V. Now, this is really important to the psyche of the three because the three is focused on how can I achieve? What do I need to achieve to be successful? I need to accomplish. Now, the trainings I was attending had international participants. And they, I had seven people send me that same cigarette ad. Not for the cigarettes, but for the posture of victory. Now, it was a universal ad, and they were traveling to and from the United States, so it was in English. But still, one was from Germany, one was from Australia, different parts of the United States, and I interviewed them. They didn't know one another. And that, that to me, was not just by chance. It had to speak to something universal, something that a three would focus on. 
you know, I looked at the ad and it was like, oh, that's nice. Kind of, to me, it was like, ah, showboat. Because for the eight, my defense strategy is, hey, what are you doing asking for attention? You know, what are you, insecure? And eight thinks very differently where three is saying, hey, I did it. You know, victory. It's just a different psyche. And then that happened with other images or phrases. Like only the type nine, when I ask the question I need, the nines might joke and say elastic. And then when I interviewed them, I said, well, what does it mean to say elastic? I had an idea, but it was my idea and I needed their idea. And they said, well, elastic's comfortable. I need ease. And you know, I don't, I, I was making a joke, but the truth of the matter is I always want to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable in my clothing. I want to be comfortable in my skin. I want to be comfortable in my environment. And if I'm not comfortable, I'm unhappy. And I thought about it. Like, well, you know, I don't like to be uncomfortable. But do I? Ha am I uncomfortable in my skin? No, not at all. Again, the difference between an eight and a nine. So when the word comfortable was on these questionnaires from only type nine, I thought, wow, there's something to this. So I started interviewing and interviewing. At this point, there were only 400 people in the study, so it was manageable to interview most, most people that had the same word choices. But from there, I started documenting and doing interviews, and I worked with people and saw, wait a minute, it isn't just this one word. But there's this other word, and more specifically, a collection of words. But even within the collection of words that would pertain to a particular type, there would also be these secondary elements that were of, other, of two other types. And many times it made sense, because when you learn about the Enneagram, you should relate a little bit to the types on either side of your type on the circle. And you should relate to the types connected to you by the line. And when you see the image, for example, the four is connected also to uh, one and to two. But what I was seeing is people using words or phrases in a secondary level that, weren't, that they weren't connected to in any way. And I just thought, well, you know, I guess each of us have a type in a center. But there wasn't anyone to talk to about it. But then I had the good fortune in 19, the end of 1996 to meet a uh, person that worked for Achazo, uh, was a, a che uh, teacher for the Eureka School, which was Oscar Chazo's school, um, spiritual school. And she just happened to casually mention the term trifix. And I said, wait a minute, and I asked a question. She said, oh, can you answer that after the class? Because the class was basically on another aspect of his work. And after the class, I asked her, I said, you know, I've been seeing this pattern of three types. What do you mean trifix? And she said, well, after the initial dissemination of the Enneagram, Echazo added the term trifix, which meant you had three fixation, three fixated ways of believing, one from each center. And I thought, wow, this is exactly what I've been documenting. And then I finally knew that there was um, someone out there that found the same pattern, but unfortunately he hadn't written anything. He hadn't said anything more about it. All he'd said was just that. So there wasn't anything I could find until later in 1996 when um, Enneagram Monthly, the authors of Enneagram Monthly, went to... Maui to interview Chazo, and he did write a paragraph on it, just on the concept. But I, in the meantime, I was continuing to gather this information from my research, and then I was re-examining everything, all the initial data that I had, and organizing it based on this premise that I had. So the fact that he had recognized that really validated what I had found, and I just carried on. Then I had the even better fortune, 1996 was a good year, I met David Favre, and he was very, very progressive with computers and the internet, and he really was able to put that questionnaire online, and then I started gathering thousands of questionnaires, 
And then later, he and I created a, a testing instrument based on my research and the images and pictures that the type sent in. And it became our card test and our Enneagram typing system, which you can get at Enneagram.net if you want to know your tri-type or potential tri-type. But from there, we not only had the words, but we also had the choices, you know, the card choice by the thousands. And I don't even know the number anymore. I I left off at about 35,000. But what happened is these basic words and phrases remained the same, and they fell into these three categories. And then David hired an MIT PhD to create a piece of software that could analyze these answers. And when they were sorted by center, we could automatically get the tri-type. But better yet, we could see that just by the dominance of the words. It was amazing. So then that really validated what I had found in a much, much bigger way. And then we, as I said, put that instrument online, I believe, in like 2002. And then we started selling the cards in 2003 or four, somewhere around there. And that classifier that uh, we created as a result of those first, you know, body of work has been ongoing. So I don't know if that answers the question in too much detail. But from there, I began collecting what the, these um, groups said about themselves. And that became even more intriguing because if we look at the um, term trifix, it identifies the fixated belief of each type. But years ago, I coined the term tri-type because what I found is it wasn't just the fixated way of believing in the thought center, but that it was the whole center. And that you, you have these three Enneagram types and you have your dominant type, which is the CEO, but the other two types are always working in concert with that dominant type as the lead and that when those three come together it creates a particular focus of attention in fact more specifically the um even though the tri-type is based on 20 years of this ongoing research and of course hundreds of coaching sessions and these thousands of tests but it discovered that we use not just one, but three types and in a preferred order. So we all have a, a head type, which is five, six, or seven. This is how we think through problems. We all have a heart type, which is a two, three, or four, and that's how we feel and uh, our passionate response to problems. And we all have a gut type, which is eight, nine, and one, and that's how, you know, kind of our instinctual knowing, our visual kind of... Um, reactions, the very kind of primal part of our personality, that real visceral aspect, and that these three types, when they intersect, create, in essence, a type of its own and a very specific focus of attention. And the high side of these three types coming together is that it gives your life direction, focus, purpose, and in a way, meaning. Because when you know what your focus and direction are, you can find meaning. The low side of that same intersection is that it creates a blind spot, which really narrows our ability to accurately self-assess, which can keep us locked in self-defeating patterns. But the really interesting piece was that People that share the same type have so much in common, but then they're different depending on the other two types they have in their tri-type. Tri-type just means the three types. But people that share the same three types, regardless of the order, so let's say someone's a one, a 
then a two, then a six, and someone else is a two, and then a one and a six, and a third person is a six, a one, or a two. Even though they are leading with a different CEO or dominant type, they're the same three types, and they have a natural affinity for one another and almost get along better than people that share the same dominant type. So this was unheard of back in 1995 because the field was really just growing and we were beginning to uh, understand this. So it explains the differences of those sharing the same type. Like, I'll give you a good example, and then let's go to you. My example would be that as an 874, which are my three types, that makes me a fast-paced, optimistic, creative, and emotional type of eight. Whereas an 826 is three different types uh, than I have. Well, two different types. We both share eight, but my seven and four are very different than an 826 because the two and six are different. And that creates a much more duty-focused eight and a, an eight that's even more loyal and, and more helpful and less individualistic. So my four in the tri-type brings out a more individualistic nature, and the two with the other eight would bring out a more dutiful nature. Does that make sense? Yes. In fact, I think when, uh, when we bring myself into the equation, it'll be interesting because not only will people get to see me in this way, but also... The fact that you and I have two numbers in common in our tri-type and one that's different can maybe give the listener some insight into our relationship as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we would naturally have two out of three types that are the same, which would give us more of an affinity for one another, even though we lead with two very different types, where you have the one uh, the seven and the four. Well, and let, me, let me just tell the listener. So my sequence is four, seven, one, so that the listeners have a foundation. And then what you can do maybe is uh, talk briefly about the four, the seven, and the one, and then talk about that particular archetype of how that goes together and bring out what you would know about me. And then if you want to say anything about what that would tell you about the strengths and challenges of of our relationship given that you're an 874 and I think that'll give people a really good sense of the power of all of this. Okay, so you lead with the 4. And if we look at it based on what the 4 wants, the 4 wants to be inspired, intuitive, original and unique. 4s want to be a one of a kind. Um more importantly, the 4 wants to to be passionate and true to themselves and their feelings and to always, always be authentic. And fours are sensitive and expressive and naturally spiritual, focused on their spiritual life one way or another and emotionally deep. And I find fours seek beauty and meaning. And the high side is this innate ability to recognize beauty in all forms, even in ugliness. And the struggle, of course, for the four is that under stress can be moody, haughty, or overly emotional. Um, but the high side is this incredible sense of humanity. Then you have the seven, which is focused on a different type of being inspiring, uplifting, cheerful. They want to be fascinating and fascinated. They're optimistic and enthusiastic. And more importantly, they want to be stimulated, creative, positive, and excited. So here we kind of have two types that are idealistic. And the seven wants also to be fun-loving and diverse and playful. And they're naturally upbeat and see possibilities that others miss. Now, the four can focus on what's missing. And the seven can focus on not wanting to miss out. So they're two sides of the same coin. But either way, they, they're focused on the excitement, on the inspired. But under stress, the seven 
become scattered and over overly happy and a false happy and um, they can become jaded or greedy but at their best the sevens are visionary and joyful and then the third type that you have is type one and the one wants to be honest fair accurate and objectively but more importantly they want to be respectable and to do what's right and what they feel is appropriate. And the one has high standards and they build things from their foundation up and they're methodical and ethical and diligent and believe that anything worth doing is worth doing the right way. And when the one is uh, upset, they have problems with resentment and become kind of angry but often suppressed anger and they can be nitpicky and overly critical but the one at their best is extraordinarily wise and ethical and they act with integrity and they offer sage advice so when these three types come together you you really get someone that is diligent intuitive and innovative like the you know the high side of all uh, three of these types and they want to be ethical expressive and positive and make a difference in the world they're passionate and idealistic all three are ide idealistic types and the uh, 147 regardless of the order wants to make that difference in the world in a big way and see the many possible approaches to different situations they're perfectionistic and seek standards to improve lives not just their own but the lives of others now their mission kind of this is what i found with each combination of these three types it yields a, a life mission and the life mission of in your case the four seven and one in that order is to create new standards of excellence and innovative ways of implementing long-lasting change and as true visionaries, you are happiest, anyone with your tri-type, when you can create change and manifest dreams. And the dreams are whatever inspires you and you want to share with others. Now the blind spot is that you can become so identified with the idealistic zeal for utopia that at times you can appear rigid in your manner and inflexible in your standards or emotionally upset when they're not met and in the um, times of frustration this combination if they're not working with themselves and that's why it's so key to be working on yourself at all times you can become more critical of anything you perceive as beneath your standards so when you have three idealistic types coming together the possibility for manifesting a vision is really great greater than almost any other combination any other tri-type there are in essence 27 uh, tri-types because there are nine Enneagram types and three types coming together and then if if you compare that to my tri-type as an eight I'm more the messenger so you're the visionary I'm the messenger I'm the person that um, wants to have power and power to influence and regardless of the order any four seven eight i lead with eight then seven then four but just in general the four seven eight tri-type is intuitive and, and innovative the way your tri-type is and then i have that protective kind of self-directed piece where the eight comes in so my tri-type wants to be original, creative, and straightforward, direct, and to the point. And it creates a kind of cutting-edge tracker of both the internal and external worlds. It kind of unites both in an unconventional and passionate and self-possessed manner. And kind of um, master of solutions. There, it's not so much that I want to build from the ground up like your tri-type would. It's more that I want to see the vision, act on it, and keep moving. Um, but outwardly, my tri-type is quite confident. But inwardly, 
there's self-doubt because four has a lot of self-doubt. So even though my eight is uber confident and my seven is confident, I would have that kind of hidden link of the four, which is not so confident. But what that creates in my tribe type is a mission to find universal truth, communicate um, my findings and manifest my vision and be a catalyst for change. So my tribe type always feels happiest when I can use my compassion to find ways to understand myself and more importantly, to empower others. And then my blind spot, last but not least, just to compare the two of ours, is that my tri-type struggles with being so focused on my insights and my vision and my opinions of what is new and profound, and, and I have such a freedom-seeking nature that I can come across as arrogant or resistant to change or unyielding, like, like that I don't operate in the spirit of cooperation. So if I'm not at my best, I'm not seen as cooperating. Yet the very nature of my tri-type is to keep moving forward. Does that make sense? So your tri-type says, hey, I've got the vision. It's an ideal vision. We should all have it. I need to make it happen. And mine is saying, here's the message. Add that to your vision. So it's very complimentary in that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So can you speak a little bit to if you were doing relationship counseling and you and I were a couple, can you speak to what you would say are the potential strengths and possibilities of our relationship and what would be the potential pitfalls and trouble spots that we need to be mindful about? Yes, the uh, this is true whether it's a couple or a partner or parent-child or boss and um, employee, any combination, the same would be true. So we would kind of get each other from the standpoint of the foreness. So there would be that sensitivity and appreciation of beauty and aesthetics and refinement and, and the ideal. So we're two idealistic types together, four and seven. And our seven would see the possibilities and be forward-thinking. But then where we would be different would be in two ways. The first way would be the, the one and eight. So our gut types are different. And your one would want you to have more standards and structure and procedure. And my eight would want to have more free reign and to deal with things as they arise and in the moment and not as um, thorough as as the one wants to do. So we could potentially, well, we'd complement in that way because we'd give that to each other. But your tri-type could become mired in detail at times and my tri-type could be too mercurial and, and often moving and not um, dealing with the details. So we might conflict in that manner. Then another way where we would potentially conflict is in the emotional domain. Because you lead with your heart and would want to feel emotionally connected to whatever you do before moving forward. And I lead with my gut, which wants to go with what I sense and then figure out what I feel. So at times we could cross paths or conflict because I'd want to move forward and you'd want to move forward after you were emotionally clear about what you felt. So it sounds like um, to me that if we were in a close relationship, it would be important for me to be comfortable giving you a lot of space. And it might be important for you to make an extra uh, aware, be extra aware of making sure that we have enough heart connection time. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I think this is, I think what we've done for the last 20 minutes here has been really fantastic in terms of bringing to life uh, how powerful in the right hands Enneagram combined with tri-type is. And uh, I'm really appreciate, I really appreciate that you were playing, that you played with me uh, and we did that together. Um, we wow. have, we have maybe about 10 minutes or so before 
we've got to wind this down. And I want to make sure that you have a chance to uh, share anything else that you would like to share. The only other questions that I had had to do more with you personally. I was curious about um, kind of what's on the cutting edge for you these days in your work and what you're most excited about these days. And if if you can weave that into anything that you wanted to say, but I want to give you plenty of time to uh, to say anything that you want to say before we wrap it up, and then we'll give your contact information again at the end. Okay. Um, wow. There's so many things that I love in terms of cutting edge. I mean, that really is my tri-type to keep cutting new edges everywhere I go. But the piece that I'm uh, really excited about is microexpressions. I learned about microexpressions when my first son was born in 1976. And there's great work that's been done by Paul Ekman. And I found that Enneagram types use, or I should say overuse, some expressions more than others. So I've done a lot of work with correlating that with the Enneagram. And I love helping people type themselves and others. And it's a great tool for that. So Can that's you define, pardon me. Can you define what micro expressions are? Micro expressions are involuntary expressions that last um, less than um, less than a minute. In fact, it's even far less than a minute. But it's when we have, for example, well, let me begin with a natural expression. Natural expression, you feel happy or sad, and it shows on your face. A microexpression is one where we've tried to disguise it. Like, let's say it's not a time where you should be happy. Maybe there's very sad news, but you just found out you got a raise, and you want to you wanna show your happiness, but maybe someone else was is telling you about a friend that died, and it's more appropriate to be compassionate and focus on the other and so you you mask your expression but it's still on the face and I find it incredibly valuable they use it in deception like a lot of um, um, like the FBI and forensic police forces they all use it to try and detect uh, deception but it can even happen with people that aren't trying to deceive they're just trying to be kind or they're confused or maybe an, an unconscious part of their um, experience is displayed in their face, but they don't consciously know it. And so I use it in coaching all the time. So someone may have uh, a discussion about a particular situation, and they look fine, even though they think, oh, well, this sad thing happened, but they've worked it through. But then they'll have a microexpression that doesn't match their face when they're talking about something that seems unthreatening and unimportant, but I know it's important because their face has displayed an expression of concealment. And that's where I go. That's how I know to work in a more um, targeted way with people to get at the underlying concerns. And then also facial archetypes, you know, why we look the way we do and what we project onto people based on whether someone looks a certain way. Do they look like a scholar? Do they look like they should be an authority? Do they look like a warrior and what we project onto people? So I'm always developing that out. But my real focus at this point in time is the Enneagram Prison Project. And you can Google literally the word Enneagram, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, and then Prison Project. And you will be so deeply touched at what is happening, bringing the Enneagram into the prison system. I first taught in um, San Mateo County 20 years ago, and it was the most touching experience of my life, literally, because it was a voluntary class. So people are only there because they wanted to understand themselves and make change in their life. They knew they wanted to make change, but they didn't know how. And the women, I worked with women at that time, and they were so self-aware so quickly because they were so raw and they had suffered so much and wanted to thrive that 
I knew in my heart of hearts that I wanted to do this work. But 20 years ago, the penal system was not ready for the Enneagram in a big way. And then a few years ago, in 2012, a person by the uh, name of Susan Olasek had the opportunity to teach in Texas, taught the Enneagram, and she too was so deeply touched. Well, actually, it was six years ago when she did that. But in 2012, she founded Enneagram Prison Project and has been teaching in local um, counties here, Santa Clara County and San Mateo County, and um, the penitentiary, and is really, really making the same discoveries over and over again that I made 20 years ago. So I've decided to join forces with her and others to bring this worldwide. And I have been teaching in Santa Clara County, and I taught a day with men and with uh, an eight-week course with women, and it's just as touching now. It's back not more so than it was 20 years ago. And the reason I think it's so important is that whether I'm teaching to an executive group of men in the equivalent of a boardroom or working with a felons that are coming out into the world again, it, the discoveries are the same, this self-awareness, this sense of feeling inspired, this sense of feeling freed and alive again and finding meaning is consistent. But with these felons, they are coming out into a world where they can't get a job because they're a felon, where they uh, can't be with uh, people that were um, bad triggers for them in the past. So that would have been their whole network. So they're really starting over with nothing unless they have strong family support. And if they have the tools to understand themselves that the Enneagram can offer, that self-understanding, I sincerely believe that every community will thrive. And I also have enjoyed teaching um, children and in high school, in private high school, where just the self-knowledge is life-changing. So I have many, many things. Thank you for asking. And I really encourage everybody to go and Google Enneagram Prison Project to see what's happening with these amazing men and women that are coming out with a whole new sense of themselves. That's beautiful. I, I mean, I can tell that it uh, connects with your desire to protect the weak and for social justice and for innovation and depth. So it sounds like a a great project for you. Uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation very much, Catherine. Is there anything that you'd like to say to me or to the listeners in closing? Well, I guess I'd go back to my favorite saying, and it's to be patient with yourselves regardless of where you are now. You are where you are, and then you can come from wherever you are and expand to be more of who you are. And I love Aristotle's uh, focus. He suggested that true internal harmony could be achieved only when internal conditions allow each aspect of the psyche to perform what it was primitively meant to perform. And boy, the Enneagram and tritype, and then the instincts, which is another area of, of study, identifies these aspects of our personality, which when we understand them can truly, truly, truly eliminate and illuminate the, eliminate the suffering and illuminate the path to greater self-awareness and a more fulfilling life. And I've seen it time and time and time again, even if we're going through a really hard time, we can do this again and again and again. Beautiful. Uh, would you be willing to come back for a second interview where we focused more on uh, on the uh, the instincts? Sure. 
Sure, I'd be happy to. So um, why don't you give out your whatever contact information you want to give out, and then we'll wrap it up. Well, again, it's you gave it out earlier. It's um, Catherine, K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, Favre, F-A-U-V-R-E, at Enneagram.net, which again is E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, oh, excuse me, dot com. And then I also have Enneagram Explorations where you can take the test, and that's my um, website with David Favre, and that is Enneagram.net, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M.net. Fantastic. And uh, just for those of you that uh, might have come in late, This is Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc, and we've been speaking with Catherine Favre today about the Enneagram in general, and then more specifically about her innovative breakthrough for the application of the Enneagram called Tri-Type, which gives a really powerful penetrating window into the soul, both our possibilities and our blind spots, and has applications uh, personally, spiritually, in relationships and in business, and uh, probably in areas that I haven't even thought of yet. So, um, Catherine, thank you so much. And you've been listening to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. And here at Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with people that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing and spirituality and social transformation. And so we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Dr. David here again. I hope you enjoyed that interview, part one with Catherine Favre. I know I did. It was uh, fun and a little bit of scare, a little bit scary and very enlivening to be the guinea pig so that you could experience the power of tri-type. So until next time, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.